Hi, everybody. This is Greg. And before we start the podcast, I want to give a quick shout out to two of our sponsors. The first is a company very close to my heart, WNR Studios. They're the makers of the Cloud Agent Suite. Their flagship product, Cloud CMA, is used by more than 400,000 real estate professionals across the country. They recently announced reaching a new milestone of publishing over 10 million CMAs. That's a lot. CloudMLX, their front-end of choice solution, recently won Inman News' Most Innovative Technology Award and has crossed over 200,000 MLS members under site license. That's a lot, too. You can find out more at cloudagentsuite.com. Also, I'm very excited to announce The Red Dot, a premium monthly report from the notorious one, Rob Hahn. The Red Dot is a monthly subscription providing an in-depth report focusing on a single key issue each month. Each issue will have an executive summary, a research and analysis, and more importantly, action items. The first report was amazing. I, I really mean that. It was on uh, photos and licensing and such. And this is money well spent if you are in any uh, leadership role in organized real estate. And again, I really love the way this is laid out because with the executive summary, you can really get a quick hit of what this report is about. Later on, you can come back to the research analysis and then you can have some action items to to bring to your board or your, your company. Anyway, please sign up at notorious-rob.com forward slash premium. I'll put a link to both sponsors in the show notes. Also, if we have any listeners that are interested in sponsoring the Industry Relations Podcast, please drop me a line at gregrobertson at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and now on with the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. This is one of your co-hosts, Rob Hahn, the notorious... And on the other line, I have Greg Robertson, my co-host. Greg, are you there? Hola, Rob. <laughs> hey, Greg. <laughs> you know, when, when I saw you in person just the other day, you didn't actually say hola, Rob, like that. So, I didn't really want to kiss you or anything. So, I just want to <laughs> point that out. Um, I bought you a steak and wine and you didn't want to kiss me. You I know. You wine me and dine me and I still, because the hola, Rob was missing. But anyway, so today we have actually a really special guest with us. It's Mr. Brad Safalo of PAA Research, which is an independent research firm focused on generating compelling investment ideas. This is a legitimate Wall Street analyst that is joining us a long time. Brad, are you there? I am here. Hi, I, Brad. A legit Wall Street analyst. I've been called worse. <laughs> I mean, unlike, you know, people sometimes ask if I am. I'm like, no, no, I, I am not legit. I'm an industry analyst. I like to talk about shit. And Greg is one of the most powerful people in the industry. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe, Greg, you are one of the top 200 most powerful people on the Swanapol Power 200. Yeah, a, is that not correct? What a distinguished list. Yeah, That's what a right. distinguished list. But uh, hey, thank you for joining us, Brad. Yeah, I'm delighted. Honestly, guys, yeah. uh, really excited to be here. And as I, I've said to others, I'm a, an ardent follower of your work, Rob, and uh, appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, so because uh, we have Brad, we, I think we're going to take a moment here to actually make some disclosures, which Greg and I have never had to do. But you know, let's uh, let's make the disclosures, Brad. I think you want to tell us in case of any long positions, short positions in public traded stocks. That is correct. So I currently have a long position in Redfin. I have short positions in Zillow and Realty. All righty. And uh, for myself, I have no long positions, no short positions of whatsoever, unless. One of my mutual funds, I pay zero attention to have something. Um, Zillow has been a client in the past, but that ended in June of 17. And they're still friends though, so I talk to them a lot. And I'm sure there are you know, people that are like, call me through these expert networks or whatever. I have no idea who they are. So, Which is not to say I wouldn't want to have them as clients. So, hey, if, you, uh, <laughs> if you're looking, <laughs> feel free to call. <laughs> Greg, you so, got anything? Uh, well, you know, I my company, WNR Studios, works with all these brands, Zillow and Redfin. I mean, everybody. So we right. talk and do that. I might, I'm not even sure if I own any of their stock. I might have some Zillow left. I don't know. Uh, all right. Yeah, I don't, yeah. It's all over the place. But yeah, I talk to everybody, every the everybody all the time and just just like Rob, I guess. Yeah. All right. So with that uh, out of the way, uh, Brad, I know you had written this this amazing report that I know Greg and I have read, uh, you know, perhaps you might start by just kind of giving us the high-level overview of, uh, of, your, of what you're talking about. Sure. Yeah. So, 
the report uh, that's being referenced here is uh, the outcome of an annual survey that my firm does of real estate agents, it's about 400 or 380 agents this year. Been doing it for nine straight years. Anyone who's listening to this podcast who's interested in participating in future surveys, please reach out to me on Twitter at Act Accordingly, or uh, you can go to my website and you can certainly find contact information there. So we've been doing this survey for, as I said, nine years. It includes questions about what's going on with ho- the housing market. And certainly, you know, we started, we launched this in August and we were getting some at least yellow, <laughs> yellow flashing lights in terms of the uh, the cadence of home sales and some of the slowdown we're seeing in a lot of different markets at this point, uh, but other things in inventory build and other things. But we also ask a lot of questions about marketing and technology and how agents are building and generating leads as well as other things in terms of what they do on the back end and how they work with their ISAs and their brokers and splits. And so a lot of this is in the context of hoping to uh, inform my clients who are investors about what's going on with the brokers or companies that are in the space. And so we've had a bearish view on Zillow uh, for quite some time now. Uh, in the past few months, obviously, I've looked a lot smarter. I see the quality of the work has been <laughs> just as good over the last three, four years. I just look a lot better, uh, really, again, in for our short thesis on Zillow, uh, it's it's multi-layered. It starts from the top down. Uh, my personal view is that the total addressable market is much smaller than the company uh, would like you to believe. They think it's $12, $14 billion. Uh, I think they do kind of a back-of-the-envelope approach to that. If I actually look at what agents are spending on marketing, whether that's the NAR surveys or my own surveys, it's a much smaller size, maybe something closer to $3 billion. I think Zillow is really struggling with the maturation of their lead funnel, which is why they're making all these other initiatives. And I know we'll get into a lot of depth on that. But mm-hmm. uh, when I look at the top of the funnel, you know, they've they've obviously achieved a level of traffic that no one has ever had in this industry, but there's pressure there. The traffic is slowing. If you're a lead generation company, which is what Zillow is, despite all the mm-hmm. other bells and whistles, when leads start and where traffic slows, leads slow, they were forced into this position of trying to move up upstream on lead quality. And I can tell you, having looked at many other lead generation businesses across a number of different industries, the transition from quantity to quality is almost always a disaster. And we're seeing with uh, Premier Agent 4.0, and now this move to 4.1, again, we'll get into that, um, that they are struggling with execution there. But what I also see is that coming next year, you know, when we think about the top of the funnel, you're going to see increased marketing again from... NewsCorp.realtor.com. Obviously, Redfin has announced that they're going to double or triple their national advertising spend. It's kind of remarkable that they have the traffic they do without a national ad campaign or something that's very limited. And then I think it'll be very interesting. And you guys think what Keller Williams will do with Smarter Agent and the launch of their big consumer facing app. Uh, So I see pressure on the top of the funnel, which already is slowing down. So lead quality has been a problem for Zillow. They're having to spend tens of millions of dollars to try and improve that because now they can't turn around and say to agents, oh, we're just going to give you more leads because traffic is slowing. And so if you don't have traffic gains, you can't improve lead quality. If you're trying to, you're spending a lot of money on that. That's going to have a lot of implications for ARPA. We know they have an ROI problem. They're finally acknowledging it and they have that in a number of markets. They see pressure, again, in my view, from They'll see pressure from Redfin. They'll see pressure from Facebook, which has been gaining share in the space, at least based on my own work. And the maturation of the premier agent business, I think in part, is what forced them to pursue this I buyer the homes division slash offers business, which from my perspective, and and I'm very excited to talk to you guys about this, uh, is an absolutely awful business model. And I know that there is an opportunity for them to monetize seller leads, but inherently, this is just not a good business. And I can certainly go through why I think that uh, as we get into more depth. And when I look across the rest of the Zillow opportunity set, say, okay, if the premier agent business is maturing, and I think even going into next year, people think that they can still do that business mid-teens. I think you're going to see a very sharp deceleration. I don't think they've fully solved the churn issue they have associated with this transition to call-based uh, lead conversion, which again, you guys knew this. I knew it. When they announced that, I was like, this is going to be really problematic just based solely on how all the agents that I talked to, how they actually process leads. They built this entire ecosystem around digital lead conversion. They said, well, we're going back to an analog model, which right. there was a lot of blowback on, as you guys know. And I think the biggest reason, at least for me, and I really, I mean, this is a, a whole topic that we can get into, 
Zillow inherently as a company is riding the rails of the five and a half to six percent commission structure. And this year in particular in my survey work, there was a major step function change in the perception of agents as to what kind of commission environment we may have going forward in that there's a lot more concern across the industry for a number of reasons. Obviously, Redfin uh, has created that dynamic. There are others. Purple Bricks is very small. And then there's even smaller ones than that. Uh, but there's this dynamic that we could be moving away from that, which has implications for everything that Zillow does, whether it's on the premier agent side, those marketing budgets are tied to the commission commissions that agents generate. And then separately, even on their on their offers business, because from my perspective, if if the construction of the industry goes up 4%, then the value proposition of anyone who's an iBuyer has to move lower in terms of the spread or that they're going to charge above that commission. So if it's 6 to 10% now, if we go to 4%, do they have to move down 1% to 2% in terms of a home for it? That's possible. Um, I thought it was interesting. Again, I'm jumping around here, but I don't know if this was what the reason he said this, Eric Wu's comments about you know, he wants to move to an iBuyer model that is effectively transacting at a free level and then right. selling on services. And I was thinking about this this morning. There is an analog out there in terms of an industry that operates this way that is of a very large size that has known but different products that are being consistently sold that are high ASP, that are financially meaningful to consumers, and then have mm-hmm. a, a major financing element and lots of let's just say, complexity around transactions, which is the auto industry, right? Right. So auto dealers make a very low margin, and in some cases, almost no margin, depending on the environment, on new and used cars, and they make all their money on services. Right. And I don't know if that's why or where he fit. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why he could have said that. But I think this whole new iBuyer landscape is fascinating. I don't, you know, from what I can tell, I, I don't really see how this will be good for a, Zillow's shares over time, B, the industry at large. <laughs> and uh, so it's going to, I mean, it's certainly your cannibalizing sales that would have been had the commission pie shrinking overall for agents. There are no barriers to entry. But a lot of the guys who in theory could do this and could do this very well. But so yeah, that's the broad context. So when I think about Zillow, right. short yeah. case, that's kind of a high level. And then Realogy, which I've also... Uh, written up as a short idea, and I'm sure personally, I just find that they're, for, I'm just going to summarize very quickly, I find their operating strategy is almost incoherent, and they have not addressed any of the core issues of of the modern landscape in real estate. And I know you guys have relationships there, and uh, <laughs> one of the things that stands out in my research is that how, and I've been saying over the course of nine years, Every year, the relative resonance and inequity that they have for those these long-standing, decade-old brands just continues to decline in the in in terms of their resonance with agents and their importance in in terms of the consumer landscape. If you're a broker and you're really solely you're there to provide marketing, technology, infrastructure services to agents, how are you going to preserve splits if the quality of your right. brand or right. Right. consumer is going down? There's no way. And that's why they're getting destroyed by Compass. And obviously, they do not have the balance sheet to, let's say, reset and recalibrate. But I don't think they're going to have any choice because you know, they were asked on their uh, recent earnings call about you know, where they could cut costs. And you know, the new management team is like, listen, guys, we're under pressure. They can't afford not to market given what's going on in the space. So from my perspective, they're in a real rock and a hard place. And there is a scenario, whether it's, I mean, certainly the macro in the short term is not helping them. Honestly, I think the the broader equity market ha- and uh, capital markets have kind of overreacted to what, in terms of what they think, how it was going on in housing. I mean, the housing stocks obviously are down plus. I think that's an overreaction based on what I see. I think we've just seen a slowdown, not a crash. <laughs> but it's so are we going to have a conversation at any point here or, or what, what's going on here? No, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Jump in. Let's do it. I just wanted to I know make Greg sure just I agrees a lot. Views. So yeah. Go ahead, Greg. Fire yeah. I, so I, I, again, I'm not that familiar with your work. Um, I, I think Rob is more so. So the first introduction is probably this, this last deck that I read. And, you know, a couple things jumped out at me. Some of the stuff in there, it just felt to me like, you're comparing Uber to 
This is why taxi cabs, taxi companies don't succeed. It's it's like you're you're, you're it's like as if you were comparing Zillow or sorry Uber to a taxi company, right? And that that's the kind of world of flavor I had in reading your stuff, where you're really you're looking at Zillow as a brokerage or Zillow as this kind of um, other type of company that is kind of becoming right. And a lot of a lot of the things you're talking about here are are related to kind of looking at things traditionally. Um, you say that like, and I guess you know the, the stock has been kind of taking a hit, but and that that's kind of making some of the your observations come to light. But isn't the stock taking a hit right now mostly because the investment community doesn't believe in this iBuyer stuff? Is that right? I would argue and there are three, at least from my perspective, three reasons why the stock is taking a hit. Uh, one, but I mean, overall, overall, it would be that they're not they're not excited about them getting into this, which I think is a big misperception. This kind of flipping model, right? Uh, correct. Uh, yeah, the, the the semantics around flipping is quite interesting. But yes, that Wall Street doesn't like the the economics of the iBuyer model. The housing market has slowed, so all housing related stocks are down. And then third is that okay. they've had a major execution mistake here with PA four. There's no debating that. So you've had, I mean, it got it significantly lower. You've had negative estimate revisions. And I would argue that even 2019 estimates are still too high. So while the iBuyer, it's funny because when they announced the iBuyer initiative, that they were actually going to put capital to work. That day, the stock went down like 5%. And then the next, for the next two, three weeks, the stock ripped. And then once they started talking about, oh, we're going to have higher license losses in the first quarter, they on the, on the offers uh, business that they were going to have higher losses and the stock went down. Then you had housing slow down and then they had this PA4 issue. So I don't think it's solely the iBuyer thing that has been a major drag on the business. But I mean, I think what's, what I mean here, so let me press this way. First of all, I thought the research was solid. I mean, it's extraordinary. I wish there were more companies doing this type of like direct nine years of surveys and, you know, really thoughtful, you know, research. So it's, it's a little bit hard to kind of disagree, I think, with you know, with kind of your conclusions or your your take on things in the short term. But the thing that you know, because I do things more like looking at it just from an industry standpoint, right? Like how should brokers, MLSs, tech companies, you know, how should the industry kind of respond to some of these bigger trends? The one thing I didn't really see, and I guess I would love to just kind of get your take on it: all of your thesis, all of your short thesis, the analysis. You know about top of funnel, about lead quality, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's hard to argue with it without having some other data. And who knows? Maybe we could try and get like Greg Schwartz to come on and tell us why Brad is completely wrong and lead quality is, you know, whatever. I mean, he that's, would probably that's, love that. You know. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could, I'm sure. You know, we could get into that data base. But I'm saying just taking the data that you have as a given. The thing that I'm wondering about is. You mentioned agent teams and how Zillow's growth has been so dependent on agent teams, you know, over the years. Mm-hmm. So over the nine years, are you? Because one of the thesis, one of the things that Greg and I have been talking about for for a long time, is this notion of concentration of power within the industry. And I don't mean but to Zillow. I mean concentration of power to the most productive agents, all of whom at this point either have are thinking about or you know selling like their agent teams. Yeah. In other words. For years and years and years, you know, th- there was this notion that real estate is like an 80-20 business, right? Where 20% of the agents do 80% of the of the business, like yeah. the other way around. Yeah. You know, and more recently, I've had brokers and franchise leaders and MLS execs tell me it's like it's more like 90-10, mm-hmm. if not 95-5. So if if that's happening, then uh, some of the assumptions around like you know, whether it's Zillow, Redfin, Realogy, like, doesn't it fall apart? As far as saying that you feel like the successful or the, the extreme version of the Pareto principle, that if it's a right. 95-5, that because you have such concentration, these guys are churning out you know, 150, 200 sides as a team a year. Right. That certainly helped Zillow. Obviously, it's been a huge part of their business. Right. But ultimately, they're still – I mean, those agents are still going to be tethered to what is the ROI here? What kind of leads am I getting? Right. Is there any sort of and of course they're still their businesses are entirely reliant on the commission structure of the industry. So Of course. Of course. That part's unchanged. But I guess what I'm getting at is like some of your your criticism, your short thesis is based on things like the lead quality is low. 
But you're getting that from a survey of 380 agents of whom I'm going to, I mean, I, I think you had some breakdowns of it, but I mean, do you know whether those 300, like what percentage of them are these top tier agent teams that are doing 100, 200 transactions versus, you know, somebody who's like an average real estate agent doing 10 deals a year? Yeah. I mean, there's a mix. Um, I also have a question, you know, specifically like how do Zillow paying agents, right? how do they view lead quality and relative to other advertising platforms? And I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. see this in your work, like Facebook scores the highest by a wide margin in terms of ROI, right? but only 19% of the agents who are advertisers, you know, in this cohort of uh, agents that I surveyed, only 19% are saying that the ROI is good or great. 53% described as poor. But 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 look at that. I mean, to me, you know, it's always been the case where you know, a lot of people talk about this industry. There's only I think it's been persistent, Rob. Maybe you have this this actual stat, but it's like 5 million homes are sold a year. Right. Right. Five and they, six, they yeah. talk about yeah. how the traffic uh, on Zillow and these other sites are so crazy compared to that. Right. I don't think it's ever been a secret or not known to people. Hey, um <laughs> there's a lot of traffic being generated here. There's a lot of quote unquote leads generating here, but seriously, it hasn't moved the needle as far as the number of homes being sold. So I think everybody, and if you want to kind of call that bad lead quality, I think that's been known to anybody ever doing this since birth. Right, since the beginning. Of- oh, no, I think I'm making a different argument though, right? There's no debating that it's known that the lead quality is poor, but at some point, you know, the, you're probably aware like, Part of it is because of this whole agent team dynamic and separate to it is like they've, they've had churn in the system, but the number of like paying accounts is shrunk and they're making, they're offsetting that with increases in price. So you can't live off price increases forever if you're not making meaningful improvements to the quality, which is why they're doing this whole PA4, PA4.1 thing. Right, right. But I, it, but I make a slightly different argument, right? Which is PA4, I think everyone, including Zillow, would admit was a mistake. Right? Yeah, <laughs> because no you know, they wouldn't have come out with PA four point one if it had not been. But if you read kind of between the lines and you go on Facebook and you read the comments and you talk to agents and you talk to brokers, what seems to kind of emerge is that Zillow launched PA four, realized that it alienated these agent team leaders who are their most important customers, right? And decided they're going to go to four point one so that these agent teams could have those you know, sort of not so great leads back so they can do the nurturing, so they could do the follow-up, et cetera, ISAs, et cetera. Real quick, Rob, yeah, why don't ahead, you explain Greg. to listeners exactly what the what PA4 was and the change they made? I think it did a little bit there, but maybe just for people who okay, don't know. Okay, good point. Okay, so PA4 is when Zillow said, we are no longer going to send you these email leads, right? So right now, if a consumer goes on Zillow, does a search and says, oh, I want to know more about 123 Main Street, you know, some sort of lead would be emailed to various premier agents, and then whether they respond or not, who the hell knows, right? What PA4 did was to say, we're no longer doing that. Every lead is going to get some sort of a response by Zillow itself. Zillow will then qualify it, you know, ask more questions. And the only when the consumer is ready to talk to a real estate agent, would they do a warm handoff on the phone, right? It'll be like, okay, Rob, like, why don't you hold on? Let me get an agent to help you. And then Zillow would dial out to a bunch of agents, and then whoever answers the phone at that time would be connected directly with the cons- with the customer on the phone. So that's 4.0. What the problem it caused is- And, and 4.0 was put in there because basically an industry-wide problem of agent responsiveness, right? That is correct. I mean, there's so yeah. many reasons, and you know, Zillow goes into some great detail, but bottom line is that people were not actually responding to these inquiries. So 4.1 though, the difference is all those leads that are not fully ready to talk to an agent, Zillow will now send those along to those agents, to those premier agents who request it, who say, you know what? I do want those things. I know they're not ready to talk to an agent, but I do want them. And in the vast majority of cases, we are talking about you know these large, extremely well-run agent teams who have you know, 12, 13, 14 buyer's agents ISAs, inside sales agents, you know, other people on their team who do the nurturing, you know, the qualification, and then eventually, you know, eventually get to an appointment, right? So 4.1 is simply we're gonna we're still gonna do the phone connections, but we're also going to give you all these not yet ready to talk to P 
people leads back to you and then you can nurture them you can do whatever the incubate them you can do what you want and that was largely in response to these agent team leaders going to greg going to spencer and being like what the fuck right <laughs> like my lead volume went from whatever 100 to you know 30 do you know what i mean like it, it was it was too big well, a drop. Well, also, I think also not only the drop, but like them saying to Spencer and Greg or whoever that I can do a better job than you guys right. nurturing right. these. I have right. systems in place. I have the I have the team here to do that. Don't right. don't force me to do something where I think I can do a better job at. Yeah, right. I think there are so now, a lot of criticisms okay, right. of the call center for sure on Zillow mm-hmm. side among agents. So all I'm yeah. saying though is, Brad, I mean, you point this out where. You know, the the um, at least according to your surveys, the agents are not necessarily hiring ISAs. You know, they're not necessarily doing those things. But there's also an, a mention where you say, in order to take advantage of some of these online leads, you have to have those things, right? Sure. You got, like I mean, if, you got to have yeah, infrastructure. So, however, you right. But very different infrastructure if you're having to answer the phone versus. You know, nurturing a lead that comes through, uh, which you can do with your CRM systems, of course. Correct. So I think that's kind of where I wanted to just, you know, again, I'm, I don't know that, I don't even know that I'm disagreeing with you. I just want to understand a little bit better. If the assumption is looking at ROI and ROI is low, and I'm saying, if you don't have the infrastructure, of course your ROI is going to be low, right? I mean, look, my, my wife and partner, Sunny, you know, she does a lot of brokerage consulting, agent consulting. And one of the first things we talk about online leads is if you don't have the infrastructure, you might not want to bother because the payoff is just not there. At the same time, if you do have the infrastructure, as we saw with PA.4.1, then you actually want as much as you can get because you actually can monetize it and get an ROI that makes worth doing. So, if the industry really is moving towards a super Pareto type situation, you know, 90, 10, 95, 5, and at the end of the day, it's going to be 50,000 to 100,000 super agent teams that do 90, 95% of the transactions and do let's maybe not 90% of the marketing, but a significant, like, I don't know, 50, 60, 70% of the marketing spend. I mean, doesn't that benefit, you know, wouldn't that support a different conclusion, I guess? In terms of at least Zillow, I mean, there's no question Zillow has been the absolute beneficiary, and they would argue that they're, you know, they're making the industry shift this way. They they make plenty of comments about how they want to work with, you know, sophisticated agents, and they don't want, for the industry's sake, which you know, as you will, they don't want these agents for doing part time work. And the movement in agent teams certainly has helped them. And there's no there's no arguing against that. That's why they have the ARPA numbers that they do. Um, because right. most agents could not, most agents cannot afford that. Is that a trend that continues? Sure, it will continue to some degree. But again, if you're saying to me, this all goes back to 180 million uniques, unique users. Let's distill that down. Let's say that's you know three to five internet-enabled devices per user. Even like right. the top of the funnel's tapped out, they're not getting more leads, which is why they don't disclose it anymore. And why are agents or agent teams? Why are they going to pay more? For the same leads. And that's why I think in part, you know, Spencer, Greg, whomever will make the argument that 50% of these leads that come through their ecosystem don't get responded to. There's something inherently uh, incongruous in that conclusion when the industry has moved towards these agent teams, right? So we know you guys spend an inordinate amount of time and know way more about this than I do that there are dozens of platforms and businesses that are built entirely on lead response in this industry. So what I find interesting is that, as an aside, like when I, there is a question I asked in the survey, it's like, what is your conversion rate on leads? The answer is so all over the place that I know that, and, and then I get a significant percent of agents who don't even know. Um, right. <laughs> that, yeah. Which is strange for me. And again, I recognize you're living, if, if your online lead generation business is like complementary to what is your SOI, you know, real bread and butter, I understand why you really don't care, but you're like, it's just branding. So it all kind of works out in the end. I get that. And there's a lot of that going on too. But I just think that while you're right, Rob, there's no question that the agent team dynamic, that's not going to change. Is it going to get materially, are we going to see another step function change in this, you know, instead of 80-20, 90-10 or 95-5, kind of in that environment already? I just don't know. Is a tailwind, is it getting stronger or weaker from here? I don't know. But what I do know is that they're tapped out on lead flow. 
Oh yeah, I mean, like I said, that's hard to hard to disagree with. Um, no, it's just it's interesting because if I think it really depends, and this is where the subtleties, I suppose, and the details, which are of interest to nobody outside the industry, I think, right, is if this concentration of power is happening, then that's going to impact everybody, right? That's going to impact Redfin. That's going to impact Realogy. It's going to impact Remax. It will impact Open Door. It'll impact everybody. Just as much as, you know, like you point out, if the commission rate changes, the 5 to 6%, if that goes to 3%, 4%, then yeah, of course, it changes everything. You know, if there's, you know, but then again, those are like the black swan events that that I sort of specialize in. Like, you know, if Congress passes a law, you know, it changes everything. So, Well, just a second, I'm very yeah. surprised that you used the term black swan to describe a shift in the commission structure. Um, okay, why? Well, I think, again, at this point, there's enough evidence that there are players in the industry who are gaining significant share by using a different model. Uh, I guess I still call it a black swan because we've seen that, right? And it didn't work the last time. Right. But, you know, the, the, not the, like Purple Bricks, everyone's talking about Purple Bricks. I'm like, don't you all remember Foxton's? Of course, yeah. Right? <laughs> you know? If Foxton's so, ever existed, I think it might have, the dialogue around it would be yeah, Bricks is, yeah. a, is, is obviously a, a more extreme case, but I, in no scenario do I see uh, Redfin not gaining more share next year. I mean, they're going to spend a lot more. Okay, okay. I don't know if they'll be more profitable, but they will gain more share next year. Okay, let's let's break this up a bit. So let's let's say you know that the lead saturation is done. So now it's up to these companies to come up with something else, right? And it seems Zillow's kind of thing is this this iBuyer thing, right? So now. And then, and then we can talk about you know squeezed commissions. But the answer to what it seems to me that Zillow is doing is is this kind of iBuyer model. So can we talk about what are the pluses and minuses of that? What what is what is real? What is not real? You want to you want to go into that section and then and then kind yeah. of I think I think closing with to me the, the the shrinking of commissions is a really larger subject. But let's say that we're just going to agree that. Lead flow is kind of it's 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 stopping or it's it's reaching saturation. So now companies have to kind of come up with something different to a new business to do that. Let's let's talk about iBuyers right. in that sense. Do you want to go first, Rob? Or, so yeah, you- yeah. What do you think about? It? I mean, you've already kind of presented the iBuyer at a, at a touch. I mean, but what what do you think about iBuyer? I forget what the Wall Street thinks about iBuyer. You know, what, what do you think about iBuyer? Yeah, I mean, personally, I do think it will have a a significant portion of the market. Now, is that what's significant? That, what, that, what, what, I was going to kind of I'd pose that question. <laughs> I know there are people who think it's going to be as high as forty percent of the market. Rob, I forgot what you said. I think I said sixty percent within oh, five. 60%, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm misquoting you. Um, yeah. I, well, let me say it this way: I, in its current form, I can't envision that being the case. But right. can it be ten to twenty percent in all in in the major markets? Certainly, because there's always there are plenty of people who are motivated to sell for whatever circumstantial reasons and just don't want to deal with the home selling process, as you pointed out. Is and I you know, went through this over the summer and anyone who's ever done it. I mean, it's right. not fun. It's miserable. Right. So there's you know there's a service element of that. Now I think you maybe took it a step further, where you know someone you know calling someone who makes a product easier to sell at a service. Again, it depends on you know there's plenty of end markets you can make that argument over but i do think they'll have a big role in the marketplace what i don't you know as far as like zillow or who's going to be the dominant player to me there's no reason why the brokers or the ones that are reasonably well capitalized enough to be in this space and we know that teller's got something going on Realogy's doing something obviously redfin and you got open door offer pad mm-hmm. bungalow um, the private equity guys if this gets established believe me they'll be all over this because they have a ton of domain expertise in it already so I, I think the the industry will grow, will get to some steady state. Certainly from an economic perspective, you're talking about something that is capital intensive, low margin, hyper competitive, and hugely cyclical. And so anyone who plays in this space is going to be treated like a financial services company and have enormous execution risk. Enormous. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah. as a business model. I think it's a terrible business model. Can you grow it? Sure. But there are a lot of capital intensive businesses that you can grow for a period of time that generate no profit. So if 
there are those who are attracted to low margin businesses or profitless prosperity, you know, you can have at it. But I think it, they, there is a role for it in the market. I just don't see it as a major driver of profits for almost anyone over time. Okay. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I think I'm one of the biggest bulls around iBuyer there is, although I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not like, I'm not a, you know, Wall investment analyst. But I premised, I based it on a sort of a simple thing, which is you're right in the sense that in its current form, uh, there's no way, right? In its current form, it, the cost disparity is too big, you know, in between kind of the fees as well as what uh, potential for gain, right? Like, okay, I like convenience as much as the next guy. Am I going to pay 20% for that? No. Am I going to pay 15? No. Uh, my, my thesis, uh, all I'm saying is in the long run, whether it's through competition because of Open Door and Bungalow and all these guys or, or just these companies get better, over time, the price is going to drop, right? Unless the entire iBuyer business model goes out the window and you know everybody goes bankrupt. If, if the process is going to get better, they're going to get more efficient. And the price difference will narrow between putting it on the open market, going through the traditional process, and just selling it to an iBuyer, right? And on the flip side, buying from an iBuyer, you know, buying a, a, a home from an open door versus going into the open marketplace. I mean, the price difference will drop. And then the question becomes, what's the level of sensitivity of the American consumer, right? In terms of that, like if it's only 2% more expensive, would they use it? If it's 3%, they won't? Or is it more of a gradual? Do you know what I mean? Like at 10%, you know, certain, a few more people use it than at 8%, few more. Like, I don't know the answer to that. I don't think anybody does. I think that's kind of where I, you know, where my base premise is. But the second piece of the iBuyer thing, and I've talked about this in the past when I talked about Open Door, and I've mentioned it when I talked about Zillow, I've mentioned it in various red dots and such. But I mean, isn't the point behind iBuyer not even really about housing or about, you know, the service or whatever? Isn't the point about it to capture some piece of the money, the profits being generated in the mortgage business? Right. Right. So I'm totally in agreement, Brad, that I think iBuyers need to be looked at more as future financial services companies, not as, you know, home flippers or investors or even real estate, you know, brokerage services or anything like that. I think those guys have to be looked at as if they carve out, I don't know, 10% of the mortgage market. I mean, now we're talking in the trillions of dollars, right? Not not in the billions. And I mean, all those banks, I mean, all of those investors, all the mortgage banks, all these guys are making money, you know, the sort of the traditional way in a time-tested and proven model. I mean, is there some reason why the iBuyers could not take a big bite out of that? Certainly, they, yes, yeah, a standalone business, the economics are not compelling enough, so they have to capture revenues elsewhere. And I know Zillow Correct. You know, bought Mortgage Lenders of America because they want to tie that in. I, the only, my response Correct. would be, you know, we've had captive mortgage companies aligned with brokers or, you know, partnerships, whatever you want to call it for a while and it's not i don't see that those have been incredibly fruitful well those mortgage companies have never had the kind of traffic and the kind of mind share that zillow has had right i mean you, you can make for that. sure i would say that you know for example it's not the same thing but like zillow has not done well at all with their mortgage lead gen business now this is different they're actually going to be correct actively originating mortgages is it possible sure is it possible Will I mean the mortgage market is incredibly competitive, and now you're talking about you took something that is pretty commoditized in terms of housing units, but has unique elements and ways in which you can add value with how you price and the data you have and other things. Now you're just saying, okay, we're going to be an issuer of capital. How are we going to win that business? Is it because as an eye buyer we have a touch point with the consumer? My response is, so what? Yeah. I mean, there's no shortage of mortgage companies marketing like crazy. Is that going to matter to consumers that like, hey, I sold my home to you, so I'm going to go buy a home and I'm going to use you? That could happen. And I'm not saying it won't happen. But to say that is going to be the reason that the iBuyer business model makes sense. uh, Well, put it to you this way. (laughs) I mean, listen, if it's a a bank, (laughs) if that's going to be a way to gain share in the mortgage market, you can bet that JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, the banks will get in the business of homes. I mean. They've done this before, right? That's right. So my point is- But that's what I've been saying. That is, if that's the end game, I feel very good about remaining bearish on 
the likes of Trump, put it that way. Uh, you know, and this is probably a separate call or separate something, but, uh, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd like to just, you know, we maybe maybe just kind of get your five-minute take on this or two-minute take on this, Brad. You know, when I first started thinking about this whole iBuyer thing, I've always thought of it as a way to get into seller finance mortgages in mass, right? Because that lets you get around some of the really onerous and really pain in the ass mortgage laws and regulations. I mean, is that not an advantage that, you know, an open door or Zillow or Redfin even, you know, have over the traditional capture mortgage companies? For sure. I mean, again, they have the opportunity to be in front of that customer in a very overt way. I'm saying seller yeah. financing though, right? Meaning you don't have to worry about some of the some of the, you know, ability to repay type stuff. Some you know, your your standards, your qualification could be way different because the regulations I mean, I would treat say that, that differently. The, in terms of ease of executing on that, that is right. I mean, look at all these peer-to-peer supposed finance companies that have spawned over the last five to seven years. They all pivoted away from a much more tradi- mm-hmm. to a much more traditional capital markets approach using ABS and uh, sorry asset-backed securities and other things to finance their businesses because there's mm-hmm. very limited scale on what you can do in consumer to consumer. If you're talking about seller note or you know issuing seller debt, that is, and I, I don't think I mean it's an interesting talk because I hadn't really thought of it in that perspective, but um, <laughs> that is really you and I just touch base no, off the, just more, on this, Brad. I don't know of a company that has achieved. The kind of scale or even remotely close to the kind of scale. I mean, think about like SoFi and the size of that company or on deck or any of these other ones. They're not in the right. context of what you're talking about. They are tiny and they're the biggest peer to peer lenders out there. Right. And that's a small part of their right, business. Right. Right. I thought you were going to say like, okay, well, and, and I'm maybe Greg was going to but like, Hey, this is the real juice in this whole iBuyer thing really is particularly for Zillow is like, we have the secret sauce now on seller leads. And that's, and I can't argue with that. To me, it's more. Right. Right. How big could right. their seller lead business get in a what I would call an investable time frame over two to three years? Can that be a fifty million dollar business in two thousand twenty? Maybe. Is that financially material to Zillow? Mm-hmm. And like I say, it's not entirely, but it's not very much. And I think that's that's the rub. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I don't. Right. To me, it go, goes back to me. A couple points is uh, to me, it's you know, Dupree said this, and I think Greg Schwartz said it. It's it's about the, the the experience, right? And if they can nail making the experience of buying and selling a home better than it is now, right. I think that's going to be a great thing. And and I've heard uh, Del Preeti say this, and I've heard Greg say that that word experience, experience, and that that feels very software to me, software ish to me, right? That you know they have to iterate and they have to come up with that. And I think to them, they look at it on a, on a higher level of. If we can make this whole process of buying and selling a home a great experience, a wonderful experience, they're going to find a way to monetize that and win. And what Zillow has over everybody else is they have, they've been thinking about the consumer for a very long time. They have the lead flow of, of a lot of people who are interested in, in, in real estate. But a lot of companies like Open Door, they have more of the workflow figured out, like how they're going to price and are they right. going to kind of monetize that type of stuff? And to me, the question is, you know, is that lead flow? Are they going to get better doing that than Open Door or others are going to get better at getting the leads, right? But it's not very complicated to me at all. It's just to me, Zillow is just trying. You know, they're just trying to figure out how to make the consumer's experience better in real estate. And and these pivots or these changes that they're doing are all around that. And they have the confidence in themselves. Once we can figure that out, once we kind of get better at that, we can monetize that to mortgage, to you know every other kind of you know seller leads or whatever, all the live long day. But that's what they're kind of striving for. And I think it's a I think it's I don't think they they think of it any more than that. They're just trying to find that that great experience. Um, so, for the, Brad, before you answer customers. that, Greg, let me ask you this, because I this is where I kind of want to pivot next anyway, is take everything you just said, doesn't that also apply to Redfin? Well, Redfin you comes know? from a different model. I mean, they have, they don't really have, I mean, they have employee age. I mean, sure. No, no I'm talking about making the absolutely. experience better. Abs- right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Okay. So, absolutely. let me then take that and ask, see if pivot a little bit towards Redfin, Brad. I mean, you have Redfin as like one of your favorite 
you know, it's one of your favorites. Long red fin, you know, you think these guys are the most disruptive, most important. Like, sure. Can you get into that a little bit? Dovetail into Greg's comments. I think, you know, they approach the industry with streamlining uh, who is it? Brad Emmons always been talking about like the paperless uh, transaction. Mm-hmm. And obviously they have a ton of tools from a mobile app perspective, you know, the consumer facing experiences. And I actually use them this summer just to make sure I could validate my own thesis, um, buy and sell a home. And it was fantastic. Right. Better than any experience I've had. Oh, wow. Wait, wait, wait. Just yeah, out no, of, no. what, just what market are you in, Brad? Yeah. And it's like, you're it's very big here. Okay. Um, relative to let's say you know something I brought up in my survey is like they clearly have these beachheads of share gains in the Northwest, California, the Mid Atlantic, and increasingly Illinois, in the Chicago area, and that, that continues to grow. But here, they, I mean, listen, they're they're doing fine, but they're not. This is not one of their biggest markets by any stretch. But I mean, the experience sold my home in a very short period of time. Even you know the market had just started to slow down at a. Pretty close to ask, and uh, there are other homes, for example, in my neighborhood that did not sell in the same amount of time, and and but all the other stuff, like as far as transactionally speaking, but the transaction outcome from a monetary perspective is great, mm-hmm. and separately from uh, just dealing with the nuts and bolts of it, it was really an excellent experience. Now, can I assume this is not the first house that you have bought or sold? Correct. So the one previous, uh, can we also? Can I also imagine that it's uh, with a regular traditional real estate agent yeah, broker experience? Uh, a uh, Berkshire Hathaway uh, franchise. What was the difference? Like, what do you think was the biggest difference between that experience and the Redfin experience? You know, I think at least for me, like for example, the Redfin deal room, the way in which we dealt with all the documentation was infinitely easier. Now, some of this is time, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what like BHHS is now offering their clients. Um, but it was also the, everyone I dealt with at Redfin, there's a, there's a palpable energy around the organization. People are very excited in their jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just great, great service overall. And then I loved the whole mobile experience um, in terms of the app. Just awesome. Okay. So Very cool. Is, you know, and I, again, I've talked to people who have not had a good experience. And again, you just don't know. And then I, you know, buying through Redfin, in particular on the buy side, you know, the agent I worked with was great. She actually wound up saving me some money in the purchase, not just on their discount, but in terms of the bidding strategy we approached and everything else. Mm-hmm. She's knowledgeable. But yes, yeah, so I had a great experience. Um, that's not the reason, <laughs> sole reason why <laughs> I have my views on Redfin. But I do think if you think about like Glenn's view is, again, he's obsessed with improving the consumer experience, right? Like that's the, maybe the founding principle of the the company. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting because in the investment community, they don't get talked about nearly as much as as Zillow does. And I think even you guys have a better view on this than I do, but even in the industry, from what I can tell, like I would think that Redfin, just given how they've been growing, would be like top of mind of every conversation. There's only one place that I know that it is always top of mind, which is at Zillow. That's right. (laughs) uh, You know, they, they've brought the market, a very compelling product and they're obviously charging less and we're really going to find out i think next year when they launch this national advertising campaign emphasizing the one percent listing fee this is a a seminal moment in the industry i don't know if you guys feel like that but it feels like that to me greg how do you feel about that no i i I think you're right absolutely i mean i i think i saw a preview of a a billboard with that messaging it may have been up in Seattle. I'm not sure, but I, I just thought to myself, "Holy fuck!" Right? That's that is a strong, yeah. compelling, that one percent thing because you know, in, in everybody's head, they always think six percent, right? And when they see that one percent, it's just like, man, that's you know, that's that's compelling. I mean, it's just a very short value proposition that everybody can get. And no, I think I think I think you're right. Absolutely, I think it's I think it's going to be interesting to see how they execute on that. See, and I guess I don't think it is, right? I don't think it's going to be seminal because, I mean, seminal in the sense that, you know, if the if the overall thesis about real estate in general is that once we move away from the 5 to 6% commission rate, right, then it's going to, you know, desperately impact everybody, you know, from Zillow to every brokerage and Redfin. And Redfin's already operating in that environment anyway. So Redfin's most prepared to go into, you know, like a low... Like a lower cost, you know, a three percent 
environment versus a 5% environment. Okay, I mean, I could see that. But from a seminal standpoint, I guess because really at the end of the day, agents can adjust, right? They can say, all right, well, I'll match it. You know, and the super agent teams, they'll be fine. They're doing 200, 300 deals. I mean, they'll be fine at, you know, at a 3% environment versus a 5%. Now, they might have to cut some things. You know, they might have to fire some people, right? Move out of office space, you know, et cetera. But it's not, I don't know if it's a seminal change because I don't know if that's really changing consumer behavior, right? The thing that I'm looking for is the consumer experience. And when Brad says the experience was superior and sort of the reasons why, I guess from my standpoint, Brad, like that's the stuff that other brokers are like trying their damnedest to catch up to. And quite frankly, I mean, this is the big, you know, fear of the industry is that Zillow one day is going to become a broker. And I'm like, they don't need to become a broker. They could just provide some of those tools and those experiences and then hand it over to their premier agents, right? And to the brokers who partner with them, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if so, I kind of look at it as, what then is the difference between the Redfin experience and the Zillow plus, you know, tech-enabled agent experience? I'm I'm not certain that there is one. I think right? the only difference would be how much is how much is the consumer paying for that experience? Right, right. So if if Redfin launches this national campaign, everybody goes, oh crap, you know, now we have to match it. So everybody goes to one percent. So overnight we go from a you know, five and a half to six percent environment to a four percent environment because no one can afford to charge more than one percent on the listing side because Redfin's out there nationally saying, "Sure, we'll list your house for one percent." You know, I, even then, then everyone's sort of back on the same footing, and the only difference that I can tell is who's got capital. Redfin has capital. Zillow has capital. Realogy has capital. Remax, I'm not entirely sure, but they, you know, well, they could probably go and get some capital. Realty does not have capital to sustain that kind of move in the industry. No but way. those they could raise it. Mm. I mean, uh, you would have massive restructuring of that company in that scenario. Yeah, that's the point. All right, so but you know, so same thing with Remax. I mean, last I looked at like 50 million in cash. I'm like, wow, you know, yeah, Compass has, so, has a, a bunch of capital. Time. They have a more row because of their business model with the franchise model, but. Yeah. So it's like, who's got capital? And really, to me, there seems to be like three players, you know, four, I guess, if we count home services and think that Warren Buffett is actually going to, you know, open up the purse string. So it's like, you know, is that a seminal moment? I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure. But like, look, I've been a Redfin bull for a long time. I think Redfin's, I think I've said for years, they're they're the most important brokerage in our space right now. But I found it so interesting that you're so down on Zillow but you're so high on Redfin. And I feel like they're kind of the same thing. Right. Well, I guess just purely, again, from a financial perspective, if we go to 4%, 4.5%, 35 whatever the number is, right, right. You, will have, you will see a major decline in premier agent revenue, unequivocally. Unequivocally. Okay. As currently structured. Right. Will Zillow be able to adapt to that environment? Of course they will. Will we have a huge shakeout? Yes, but not all of their agents are part of massive agent teams that are going to gain share. You're not going to, and forget, and we talked about this earlier, I have a question about the iBuyer model. If we're in a 4% commission structure environment, what is the what is the revised business model for an iBuyer in terms of the discount of right. purchase homes? It, it's, it will almost certainly be less. I don't know if it's at 6%, seven, five. I don't know the right answer. We don't know. Right. No one knows the elasticity of demand here on this service or this right. product. Right. The one thing, I, which is interesting, we didn't, I, I would like to ask you this question, Rob. So you have this view that you're going to see a massive share gains for iBuyers and you said 60%. And I mean, even if it's 30%, it's a huge change in the industry. 10% would yeah, be huge. Right. No, no, yeah. so I just want to clarify something. Yeah. I didn't say it's going to happen. I said, here are the scenarios where it could happen. Right. right. I guess, yeah, I guess one of the things is if I look at just the industry overall, in particular for companies like Realogy and ones that are not as dynamic, and we haven't really talked about Keller, which I'm really fascinated by. Again, in the investment community, Me too. it does not get enough attention as it should, particularly with what they're right. about to do. But we have maybe a dynamic where even if it's 10, 15, 20% where iBuyers gain share, commissions are coming under pressure. And this is a disaster for legacy players in this business, right? No doubt. Disaster. Yeah. You're talking about smaller yeah, commission no pool, both from the commission level and then a smaller percent and percentage of transactions 
but you're, you, I mean, you guys are in the business of talking to your clients. How are they thinking about this? Like, I'm very curious to hear your guys, uh, both of your views on. <laughs> I have a different perspective on that, Greg. What do you think? I mean, brokers, I mean, all that, Realogy, I mean, just independent brokers, whatever you call it, it's panic out there. It's like, they don't know what to do. They don't know what's what's happening, what's, what's you know, they're just all scared from my standpoint of like, they're waiting for the next shoe to drop. I mean, there's so many choices. There's so many things out there that are so unknown to them. It's just, it's, it's the, the feeling I get from everybody is just one of like a, a fear and almost panic in a sense. Interesting. And I'll, I'll agree with Greg. I mean, I think my take on it is there's a lot of uh, head in sand going on. And a lot of this insistence that, you know, well, real estate is, uh, you know, still a uh, belly to belly personal relationship business. Nothing's going to change. And I'm like, okay, I mean, that might be the case, but I think the agent teams who are doing 300 transactions a year have proven that it's not entirely belly to belly personal relationship because I got to tell you, Ben Kinney does not have a personal relationship with the thousands of people who are doing sure. business with the Ben Kinney companies, right? So something's happening. But yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of denial and there's a lot of panic, I think, like Greg said, and the denial might be coming out from panic because they don't know what to do, right? So if you don't know what to do, then you might as well just bear down and, you know, what's the favorite fair phrase in the industry? Like, get back to basics. <laughs> it's like, okay, right? I'm not saying that's bad, but if that's the only only thing you've got, you know, then then it's the only that's, thing you've that's got. That's what somebody uh, says when nothing else is working, <laughs> right? <laughs> we got to get back. Or, or they don't even know what it's to like, try. It's, like, it's right? like what a coach says when you're like, you know, you've lost the last nine games. It's like, okay, we got to get back to basics. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we just have to tackle better, block better. It's like, yeah, I mean, it would help. Who would you say that like really either has a very strong view on it or from your perspective really gets it and is acting in a dynamic uh, way and with urgency? I mean, is are there, I'm sure there are. There, I mean, well, I mean, I think Keller Williams really gets it. I don't know that they're acting in the right way as a response to it, but I think they get it. Like Gary Keller, you know, I've written a series of posts that got me, you know, pilloried because they think I'm like harshing on Gary. I'm like, no, I mean, I've consistently said Gary Keller gets it. He understands the problem. He understands the threat. I just don't like how he's acting, right, in response to getting it. But other than that, I, I mean, I don't know, Greg, who do you think? Does anybody like get it and act? Yeah, I agree with you on, on from, from Keller Williams' standpoint. It, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if I agree with this, but then you see something like uh, Ryan at Realogy where they're almost doubling down on, on their traditional strategy. They've announced two new brands, right? right? <laughs> right. Which, which is a very interesting way of looking at it, right? Which is like very counterintuitive. It's almost they're saying, yeah, we, we see what's going on out there, but we're going to release two new brands because that's the way of getting out of this is it's going it's going back to the core <laughs> competency, which is like I guess you can say this is like is building great brands, right? And, and, right. and if that matters, so right. What I respect about that is that the guy's got an opinion, right? And that he right. he's gonna he's gonna he's he's made an opinion, he's made his his decision, and they're gonna they're gonna go about now executing that. And I think really Cochrane's more about international, and Climb is more about. The more millennial agents or that that kind of thing, right? But right. you know, I, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but it's it's certainly an opinion and and something they're making, um, right? So it's it, almost uh, like Gary gets it, but his Gary gets it, but his you know his plan is a little bit interesting to say the least. And Ryan, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if Ryan gets it or he's looking at a different a different problem to solve, and he has his own kind of a solution. So it's all over the place there now, right? Everybody's got their own way. Of, and they're all, I think, trying to leverage their strengths, right? Yeah. Zillow's yeah. trying to leverage their strengths. Right. Redfin is, Realogy is, Keller Williams is. So we'll see what happens in the end. Hey, I, you know, it just occurs to me, like, seriously, guys, I could do this for the next four hours because this is really fun. I think, I, I mean, I'd love to try and find a way to get Brad back on the program. We'll talk more. But uh, we've already had, been at this for an hour, so uh, I think uh, let maybe let's try to wrap up with sort of final takeaways. So I'll, I'll ask our special guest first. So three years from now, like how do you see the real estate industry as a whole, Brad? Who are the winners? Who are the losers? What do you think that environment looks like three years out? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think you know I think we'll see. So we talked about the. Likes of Redfin will certainly be a winner in terms of share. 
Uh, you'll see more markets where there's just clear pressure on gross commissions. Um, I do think you'll see I buyers get to five to ten percent in you know at least 15, 20 markets, if not more, in terms of transaction volume. Oof. Make them a yeah. a winner again. This is about economics. I think you will see a material degradation in premier agent revenues for Zillow. So as a result, yeah, from a stock perspective, from a business perspective, they will go through some serious uh, growing pains. I think you'll see actually a lot of changes in that company over time, over the next three years. And then otherwise, I think Realogy is in enormous trouble, like potentially restructured mm-hmm. in a three-year time frame because the things we just illuminated and discussed for an hour, none of them are good for Realogy. None. And the thing that, that, uh, that they're doing is going to change the realities on the ground. And I will say I am extraordinarily fascinated by what Keller Williams is about to do. They would be the first brokers to really go hard at recapturing consumer mind share. And something I don't understand why the, bro- the larger brokers have done, because that's the only way you're going to win or survive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Greg, what do you think? What's the industry look like three years out? I think it just gets more specialized. I think there's going to be maybe, I don't know, three different bands out there. There's going to be like the lower kind of flipper foreclosure kind of stuff. I think the middle part is your average Joe. And then on the the, the other band would be, you know, luxury or kind of high, high touch type of transactions. And it's going to be interesting to see how much, you know, each one of those bands kind of occupies, I mean, uh, of the total market and what each of those bands charges for those services. And we'll see the brands, all all the different people in real estate right now, all the different companies in in real estate right now kind of uh, adjust themselves of where they're going to, where they're going to work best. Um, And okay, cool. And that's to me like a transitional thing here with within three years if if you're giving that time frame. And uh, I think my take on it is, and I got to think about it a little bit more. So I'll just kind of like, you know, BS out of my mouth and then think about it. I think three years out, what we see is the industry divided into rough, rough, like three large parties. I think Redfin and their allies will be in one corner. I think Zillow and its allies will be in the other corner. And then the traditional brokerage with NAR will be in the third corner. And the first two are going to gain massive share at the expense of the third. Of the three, I think Zillow might actually end up if you will, making the largest gains, not because of all this other stuff we talked about, lead flow, lead quality, da, 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 because as far as I can tell right now, they're the only company to actually have taken any sort of a stand about the quality of the experience, about agent quality, where none of the others, Redfin sort of has, but they really haven't. So I feel like that's where, where we're going to be. And it'll be fascinating. And chances are, I'm going to be completely wrong. So there's there's that, and there's no uh, <laughs> open, there's no open door in your uh, in your three corners there, or, or is that? I'm kind of imagining Redfin and open door merging. That's actually what I've been imagining. Yeah, to me, you it's know. like an it's like Zillow and open door merging. But yeah, yeah, it's possible. But yeah, it's like Zillow and its allies. I think Redfin and its allies, and then the traditional brokers and but NAR. Where, where, do you think that Open Door is under the Redfin's allies or Zillow's allies? I, I, you know, I don't, that's a good Gosh, question. I have I don't to interrupt know. here because I can't no. believe this name hasn't come up, but how are we not what? talking about Amazon buying like an open door or a red pin? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. No, and then you're right. That wasn't, that was in your paper. Yeah, yeah. As a general, I don't like to talk about Amazon, Facebook, uh, Google, and Apple. The FANG companies, as far as, as, as far as I'm concerned, what, if one of those whales move, it changes everything. Do you oh, know what I'm saying? for sure. Like that's, yeah, that's, that. to me, this is like, in the real estate industry, you know, we think of it as this gigantic thing. Look, we're we're a couple of shrimps like fighting for you know dominance. If one of the one of the whales come in, then it, everything changes, right? If Facebook really really gets into real estate, it all changes. If Amazon, you know, Google, you know, one of those guys, yeah, it's all it's all over. So that's why that's that's the only reason I just I, I can't even imagine. I was partially laughing only because in yeah. my world, everyone talks about Amazon and. Uh, sure. All the time about potentially acquiring. Sure. So, uh, but hey, being, moving into the. Hey, Brad, thank you so much for joining us. This has been thanks, Brad. Yeah, just amazing, awesome, and. Uh, oh no! Thank you guys so much. Yeah. I love this, and I'd be happy to come back on and do yeah. some intellectual jujitsu. Yeah, and like I said, I'll touch base with you afterwards. Greg, uh, any parting words for our listeners? 
No, um, I think again, just the, the last part we ended up with, I think, could be another whole another podcast of of these outliers that nobody talks about that really could change things. Yeah, I would just throw that out as a suggestion for later on. But Let's do it. What I say also at the end of every podcast is, hey, you know, go to iTunes, give it a good rating, write an actual review on there. That helps things out. And uh, thanks for everybody for listening, and thank you, Brad, for joining us for this one. Yeah, thanks everybody. Thank you guys again. Great. I right, have a good one. 